Hi everyone, welcome back to the Teabag Chinwag, where we talk tea and talk movies. The premise is that we watch a movie where at least one character has to have a cup of tea, and then we drink that cup of tea as we discuss the movie. My name is Bernard Pucher, and I'm joined by my very, very awesome, fun guests that we had the first time around. It's really, really great. I've got with me Ariana Steigmann, our in-house uh, history nerd, literary nerd, you know, knows a lot about everything. Um, we've got uh, Ed Perrier here. He's an animator, an illustrator, um, fe fellow co-worker, you know, yes. we've worked on it, worked for quite a few years together. But special guest, of course, is our tea expert, Jane Pettigrew. Tell us a little bit more about what you do and how you do it, please. Okay, so for about 37 years, I've been working in tea in various different jobs, seeing the industry from different sides. And what I do now is I'm in charge of the various courses we run at UKT Academy, which is an online teaching uh, company. And we have students all over the world and we take them through basics right through to sommelier level and on into masterclass level so they can specialise in whatever really grabs them as being important about tea. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, obviously, we're going to get into the movie in a second. I have, my name is Bernard, as I said, and I'm a director and producer. I've made a couple of movies, a couple of short films, and I run a production company, as well as a uh, filmmaker community called Centerframe. So um, I'm, I bring sort of my new movie knowledge. Everybody has their own thing that they're bringing to it. And as we're talking tea and talking movies, the film we're discussing this time is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, directed by Ang Lee, starring Chow Yun-Fat and Michelle Yeoh. Of course, now... Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh, which is awesome. Uh, she's been one of my favorite actresses for years, and I'm so glad that she got the recognition for uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which we just had a brief conversation about. Uh, but um, yeah, of course, starring starring her and starring Chinese actress Zhang Ziyi, um, who is actually my favorite performer in this movie. I think she has the most complicated role to play, and she was very, very new to feature films at the time as well. So she, I think she knocked it out of the park with this movie. So let's get into the broad strokes of this film for a second. Um, the, um, oh yeah, I forgot my cue. That's the one we're talking about. Um, let's talk into the broad strokes of this movie. Um, Ariana, yes. what's your, uh, when was the last time you saw the film uh, before watching it with, oh. uh, for this? And then how has the film evolved for you since you've last seen it? Well, I saw it back when it came out. It opened the Jerusalem Film Festival. I think it was 2000. Yeah. And it was a beautiful open-air theater. It was, must have been summer in Jerusalem. Open-air, that was a place called the Sultan's Pool where the festival opens. So it was on big little big barricade things. It was a, an amazing experience seeing it on a massive, massive sort of football pitch-sized screen. And mm. God knows what speakers it. I must have seen it since, sort of on television or something. Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly how or when, but I think I have. And again, and how does it how does it feel by comparison? Um, I loved it then, and I think I loved it more now. I got more out of it on a second or third viewing or something, more detail, more appreciation. I could focus more because it wasn't open air. Um, of course, I looked for more detail, um, and I'm older. <laughs> I think I got more nuance the, this the time. The romance will do it, right? You know. Um, so I think I got the romance the first time. I was twenty, so all into romance, <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm sort of more into reading between the lines. So the quest for freedom, the social implications that all the different social constraints that different characters were sort of working against. I think I got a lot more of that this time around. So Ed. 
Yes. You have seen the movie previously before as well? Yeah, I did. This. Yeah. Um, how long ago was that? Ages ago. I saw, uh, like, probably 10 years ago. I saw it as a, as a kid. Right. Um, as I a think kid. my uncle was just like, look how cool these action sequences are. Um, so that's all I really remembered of it was right. the action sort of thing. And how is it different um, for you now then? Uh, I mean, it was interesting for me. I, I loved the, uh, the atmosphere. I think the shots were beautiful. Um, and I think the, the history as well, like representing China in the 19th century, you don't see that often. And I like that. Um, there was like a, there was a calmness, even though it was violent. Even the violence was almost calm. It was all, it was odd. Mm -hmm. um, but as someone, I think I, I watch a lot of like anime and I watch a lot of like stuff like that. And for me, the action was a bit silly. It was a bit like, it was a bit like, um, it felt like, uh, uh, like a musical. That's right. what it felt like. Like when they had an emotional response to each other, the response was to fight. But right. really it was about releasing their emotions. So it was like a musical. Right. It was like, and now we dance. That's interesting. And, then, and that's what it felt like. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, like, if, like Michelle, you having an argument with the other, with the girl. Yeah. It's like they're having a disagreement, but their reaction is to fight with every single sword and anything they found. I was like, what? Why? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, yeah. I mean, I like I liked a lot of it, and really didn't get a lot of it. Right. Uh, and I, I would probably wouldn't watch it again. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So very, very mixed feelings. About yeah. The movie, I'm, yeah. Big time. Mixed right. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Jane, we, I know we've talked previously that you. This was not, pardon the pun, your cup of tea. <laughs> um, how? What? What are your thoughts on it? Like, would, are there parts that you find are redemptive to you? Things that you did like? It's really hard to say. I hadn't seen it before watching right. it for this program. It's really nice to hear Ed saying that, you know, some of it you didn't quite get either because I felt um, quite confused about who people were. Right. The fights, I thought, how do they do this? How do they film these sequences without killing each other? Um, and I just thought there were too many fights. They went on too long. Right. <laughs> but the choreography, the technical side yeah. of things, fascinating. But it's not a film I would go back and watch again. I don't think. I was also obviously watching for tea instances right. throughout, which tends to occupy your brain more than some other things. Mm -hmm. I, I did like the look of it. I have to say it was very dark. Um, the, the nighttime scenes are really quite magical, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you get the, the fights at the top of a, a bamboo tree mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And I thought this is one minute you're on the ground, and then it just dissolves into complete fantasy. And yeah. so... Yeah. I mean, the, the film plays fast and loose with reality, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, um, um, basically, Ang Lee tried to not represent China accurately for its time period. So he, he was trying to present a heightened version of it. So everything's just a little bit more elevated and stuff like that. But it does seem like the ability to run across roofs and stuff like that is a power you can attain because there are people that can't do it, right? So there, there are people that got stuck in the corridor that, yeah. well, everybody else ran up. They were yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. okay, well, we can't go there. You know? So clearly that is an attained skill through um, working as a monk in the, uh, what's the temple called again? A Wudan temple, exactly. You know, so it's clearly the... It's a craft you learn. It's a, it's a skill you learn. It's a, something you acquire. It comes with power. And and you could tell 
the difference in stillness between the most powerful character who is Limubai and everybody else who's still learning and training and how much more, you know, balance he has standing upon the bamboo tree versus um, even Michelle Yeoh's character or Zhang Ziyi's character, that they just are not as in tune with their inner stillness, you know? And I think that's sort of where that balance comes. But even I only got that with the third viewing. Oh. You know what I mean? So so I, the first time I saw it, I, did, I got none of these things, you mm. know? The only thing that I got was Lima Bai wants to retire. He wants to be with the woman he can't be with. And then he dies. Yeah, no, pardon the spoilers. There's some spoilers, but the film's 20-something years old. So you should watch it by now. But that's that. <laughs> I got the bare bones basics of that, but I agree with you. I mean, I'm still struggling to remember people's names, um, but at least, you know, it. The, the film does do a good job in at least moving the story forward. It doesn't linger too long on things, which I do like, except for in one instance, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let me just play a quick clip um, just to revive everybody's memory, and then we'll talk about the tea afterwards, because tea actually plays a really, really important part in this film. It's actually an Ang Lee trope to have tea in his movies and oh. make them important character things. So we'll discuss yeah. this in a bit. Okay, so... This scene is actually really, really crucial when it comes to the tea that's in it because it reveals two things. One, it reveals that she didn't know that her master, um, uh, Fox, Jade, uh, Fox. Jade Fox, actually killed the policeman. So this is news to her. So she didn't know that. Um, but also she reveals her skills and the ruse that obviously Michelle Yeoh's character already knew is now up. Yeah, I mean, so she revealed her skill set by catching the teapot um, and uh, and basically said, yeah, OK, it's me. I, I now need to return it. So basically, very, very crucial character moment for our main characters in this. Um, and tea plays a big, big part of that. So let's talk about that tea. Jane, please enlighten us a little bit about what kind of tea we're talking about what kind of uh, period we're talking about. And you had some uh, very interesting uh, things to discuss for the uh, the ritual of the whole thing. Very often during the film, we see these covered cups. Mm -hmm. This is called a gaiwan. And in China, they use it either to brew tea and pour into little bowls for whoever is there to drink. Uh, but also you actually drink from this. And that's what we saw in, in the film. Um, so this is a three-part drinking cup. The lid represents the sky, the saucer represents the earth, and the bowl in the middle represents humanity, man, life, etc. And so this is used for either brewing or for actually drinking as well. And I think this developed um, during the uh, during the Ming Dynasty, I think, um, as a way of being sort of more involved with the brewing of the tea. You feel closer to it. You can see it more readily than if you're brewing in a teapot. You also, when you're brewing, and we will, we will do this later on, when you're pouring water into the tea leaves in the gaiwan, you've got quite a big open space. So it's quite easy. You sort of aim visually for a, a spot. And the idea with this is that you pour the water down the inside edge of the gaiwan, and that sets the leaves swirling. Mm. So the dancing of the leaves, they call it the agony of the leaves Ooh. in China. So it sets the leaves swirling. And then the lid is used to actually move the, the tea leaves around very quietly. You get some bubbles on the top sometimes, so you can scoop those off. And then this also acts as the strainer if you want to drink from it as well. Once you've finished, the leaves are still in the, in the gaiwan. Once you finish, you actually just add more water. 
So the, the whole thing here that I've got all these pieces of equipment is because when you brew tea properly like this in China, it is called the Gong Fu brewing style, which is the same stem in the word as Gong Fu fighting or martial arts, etc. So very closely tied up. It means to do something that you've worked hard at and, and carry out with great skill. And when you sit with a real tea master, I'm not particularly um, practiced at this, but when you sit with them, they are brewing constantly yeah. and pouring the, the tea out for the different people, topping up your bowls, and they are then brewing more tea. So it's an almost constant, uh, almost a choreography of, of hands and arms that yeah. keeps this brewing. So um, so want to know about the tea as well? Yeah, yeah, please, please. So this is an important, it's one of uh, China's most uh, well-known green teas. It's called Longjing, which means dragon well. It's made in the Westlake area in Zhejiang province, which is just coming through to Hangzhou on the coast. And the whole area is surrounding this huge lake, which means that the air is very humid. That's absolutely perfect for the tea bushes. Uh, and this is one of those teas that is only picked in the spring. Once you've picked your spring harvest, they do something else. They don't try to pick the tea going on through the season because it loses its quality. The importance of the spring pick, and we usually call this a pre-Xingming tea, Xingming being the um, festival of pure light or tomb sweeping day on the 4th or 5th of April. It's very, very important in China. But it also marks the time when the rains begin to come. So if you're picking tea when it's not really very wet yet and there's not much warmth from the sun, the tea grows very, very slowly. And that means that it actually has time on the, on the plant mm -hmm. to get all the flavor into it in a much more concentrated way. It's very special. If you see, if you go to a tea shop and you see that there are teas on sale which are pre-Xingming, before Xingming, it means it's the first harvest and it's going to be very, very good quality. After the Xingming festival, the rains come steadily more and more and more. Once you get rain and more heat, the bush grows much too quickly and you lose the quality. Mm -hmm. So in, in this area, there, there, there's the original um, uh, Longjing village, but there are other villages now. And this is a tea that has geographic identity. If it's called Longjing, it must come from the Westlake area of, of uh, Zhejiang province. That is not to say that it always is. There, there's lots of counterfeits, like with everything, you know, Darjeeling tea in India is often from Nepal. Um, so there's all sorts of, of little bits of cheating that go on. But when you get a good long jing, and this one is actually, um, it's called Shi Shui. Oh, I'm sorry, I need to get the pronunciation right. This is called Shi Feng Long Jing, and that is Lion Mountain Long Jing. There is also a Tiger Mountain, um, which is not quite as good quality as this. And of course, with the film, it's quite interesting that this tea has all those connotations, all those connections. No, I think uh, I think it's really, really interesting. I love the the uh, rituals of, that's associated mm. with it. Obviously, everything has a name and a clear dis, um, a sort significance. of significance. Yeah. And so it's not just here's a tea, just pour it in and chuck it down. Yeah. You know, but it's actually real sort of meaning and ritual yeah. behind it. And I like it like the like the name says with Gong Fu is that the whole idea is to ritualize it. You know? Absolutely. Um let's get into it. Let's get let's 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 start brewing this. I would okay. love to I'd love to know how this goes. So what I've got ready here is my guy one, which I'm actually going to use as a teapot and brew the tea inside there. Um, then we've got little tiny bowls. So your your tea bowls you drink out of in China can be that sort of size, but they can be even smaller. 
and it's beautiful fine porcelain. You can actually see the light oh, through. Yeah. They used oh to God, say that you could read text through the bottom of a tea wow. bowl. It was so fine. Um, and this is, if you went into a tea shop in, in China or Taiwan, this is what they would serve your tea. You can try before you buy, if you mm. like. Is there a difference in, in the size? drinking, as in like for flavour or uh, no. however it works? The one thing that is important is that it is bowl-shaped. Okay. So the first thing we do is warm everything and cleanse everything. It's almost like a sort of paying respect to the tea things. So I'm going to first fill my gaiwan, and normally we would just pour it down the inside edge like that. And that's going to warm the gaiwan, but then I'm going to, I'm not going to use that water for brewing. It's going to go into the jug to heat the jug and cleanse the jug. And then I'm going to use that same water to heat the little tea bowls. So everything is clean and cleansed and hot. Interesting. Okay. So while the bowls will get cold very, very quickly. The, yeah, they themselves. do. They're open, so they do they do cool down. So we leave those with the water in for the moment, and we're then going to put the tea. Just make sure I've got no water left in there. We're going to put the tea into the teapot. So I've got a little implement here. I'm going to put about four grams in here. And they just scoop it in. And because the guy one is hot, it's a very good way to give you some idea about the aroma of the tea, because what I'm going to do is put the lid on, shake it gently, and then pass it round for you to smell. Mm. You're getting a sort of nuttiness? Yeah, super Roasted nuttiness. Roasted nuts. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to work out what I was supposed to, I was supposed to smell, it's, but yeah, it's definitely it's a bit like nuttiness. Opening, yeah, no, like opening a that. bottle of wine. It's a bit like broth. Yeah, it's, it's right. got a sort of umami oh, yeah. deliciousness. Mm. You don't wow. expect that from tea. No, no you really no, don't. I was not expecting yeah. this at no, all. Yeah. Exactly. No, I was no. looking for green tea when I was smelling it. Yeah. 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 It's not that it's not, not that at all. all. It's a much more savoury sort yeah. of yeah, scent yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, so now I'm going to pour water onto the tea, set it swirling. And the agony. The agony, the agony of, of the leaves. Put the lid on. Move bones, it around. Yeah. And so this has had maybe 20, 30 seconds. Oh yeah, okay, it's got in there first. So that you can tell the difference between the first and the second brew, mm. I'm going to actually pour you each a bowl into the warmed cups first. Thank you. It's a wonderful smell on the aroma. Mm -hmm. And I put the lid back on there. All right, what do you think, Ed? I can still smell that nuttiness. It's mm. amazing. And this, too. and this tea would have been very, very popular during the time period that we're talking about. So it's the Qing Dynasty. It was famous by 1700. It was I'm made, kidding. you know, in the previous dynasty, became more and more famous. There's a lovely story about it. Um, the emperor at that time is said to have visited the Longjing village. And outside the temple there, there are 18 tea bushes. And he drank the tea from those 18 tea bushes and said this is going to be an imperial tea. Right. But he then went out into the field watching the girls, picking these little tiny blood sets. You see what you've got now opened up in your bowl? Yeah. It's a new bud with two little baby leaves each side, nice. and that's the new leaf bud there. So Try really it. tiny. Yeah, I bet it tastes really nice. Really, really tiny. And so he was out there in the field watching the girls pick and picking himself. I mean, it's quite a skilled job. And in the middle of it, a message came through from his mother back in Beijing who was ill. 
and she demanded that he return home immediately. And so he got a handful of leaves and he said to have stuffed them in his sleeve, you know, the big um, yeah. open sleeves, and then disappeared to get back to his mother. When he got to his mother's bedside, she said, what's that wonderful smell? And he said, oh, I've got some tea in here from when I was picking in, in Longjing Village. And they decided it was it was given a different name in those uh, days. It was um, wonderful fragrance or beautiful fragrance. Right. Um, but then it later became known as Dragonwell Tea. And um, he then made those 18 tea bushes special, imperial, and they're still picked today as oh. a separate section. And the tea that you, you get from those bushes is always very expensive. I believe that. So it's really I mean, special. That is you know. very special. People revere tea mountains, tea bushes. Right. Coach loads of people go out for the day to visit particular tea regions in China because it's so important to them. Right. Both, you know, spiritually, financially, it's a big part of the Chinese um, econo mm. economy. And, um, and they, they just love this tea. And green tea because that's all they made mm. until the beginning of the 17th century. Right. It is amazing though, I have to it say. It is amazing. Yeah. Really and you get like broth. Yes, Very quite hard. thick in the mouth. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really lovely. Good. And I mean, this is a, a high quality tea. Yeah, I mean, um, the leaves are enormous. I have to say, like, I don't think I've ever seen tea leaves. Oh, these are tiny. No, no, but no, but like this, for stuff you can buy. Yeah, almost all the tea leaves that the loose leaf is is very is much smaller than that. But like, these are is... tiny because they're growing so slowly at the beginning yeah. of the season. And actually, if you buy a first flush Darjeeling, you should see little buds like this in the tea right. because it's the early pick. Mm -hmm. It's the first pick of the year. And to get this flat, uniform color is such a skill. Right. Um, and it's made by processing it in a hot wok around about 100, 100 degrees centigrade mm -hmm. or more. And they throw 100 grams or so of, of freshly picked tea that has lost a little bit of uh, moisture into the wok and it sizzles and steam comes off. And they move this around in the walk with their bare hands. So how much would do you reckon this uh, technique would have evolved from the times of when the film takes place to now? You know, is it, do, you, do you reckon oh, this, it, this, this is, is older, older, older? Yeah. Right. This I mean, going more... right back. Um, I, they wouldn't, all green teas would not be this shape necessarily because the point of the shape is the result of how the teas are rolled. Right. And you roll the tea to develop the flavor. Mm. You, work, you break up the cells inside and you can either roll like this so you get a gunpowder tea, ah, you know, the little yes. brown pellet, yeah. or you can roll it that way, so you get a longer, flatter. Mm. This is done by pressing. And there's really only two famous Chinese teas that have this flattened look. One of them is this tiny bud set. Um, and there's a village um, in um, Anhui province called uh, Taiping. Mm. And the tea they make there is called Taiping Hokui, which means Taiping Monkey King, because right. there's all these legends about monkeys picking tea, mm -hmm. which is... Totally unlikely. <laughs> they would probably just hurl it down at you down the mountainside. Right. But that one is pressed in the same way, but not by hand. It's pressed in a in between two mesh, um, mm. uh, what do you say, a frame with, right. with wire mesh. Mm. And it holds the leaf in shape while it's being dried. Right. So you get these long, flat um, leaves, very much like that, but in a bigger size. Mm. So the, the, the way of rolling creates the particular shape. I see. And, that, and that's a very, very, very old tradition. Oh, it goes right back. I mean, at first the Chinese used to just put the fresh leaves into water, but then they started processing it differently. Mm. And, uh, I think it's very interesting because, I mean, what, what I find, uh, to draw a parallel to the movie again, I think uh, what's interesting is that this film is basically trying to be a bit of a legend, right? Yes. You know, um, although the, the, the book is actually 
much younger than that. Like I thought that I thought it was based on on. Uh, oh yeah, there you go. You. I'll, I'll do the same. Um, say thank you with two fingers. Uh, <laughs> although sounds wrong in English. Yeah, it sounds wrong in English. Exactly. Like it, it, this is fine. That is not fine. Uh, <laughs> Especially if you do that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah see, it's just not fine. Maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, the uh, no, but what I find interesting is that there's clearly a bit of a, a fantasy legend aspect to this story, right? It's clearly not trying to be naturalistic. No. You know, it's it's it is a fairy tale to a certain degree, sure. uh, but. Um, it's actually a very, very young story, very young book. Um, actually, Ariana, would you mind um, talking a bit about that? Because um, we I had a brief. I would love to, because yeah. it's a part of a series, a pentalogy, pentalogy, right? Five stories, five novels that are interlinked, called the Crane Iron, named after the the characters in the first and the last books, the Crane and Iron, the sort of I don't want to call them stage names, but sort of craft names of these local. Martial art heroes. Call signs. I guess. Maybe, yeah. I guess. I guess you could call it that. And it's part of the wuxia genre, which is basically a martial art hero, a warrior hero, the hero's journey. It's an entire genre of Chinese law, like we have the knight's tales in England mm. and Europe, right, of the knight's errant and the gladiators, not the gladiators, but the, the crusaders. So... This is Chinese law, Chinese folklore of the martial warrior going about imparting justice and fighting crime, fighting injustice and helping the meek. It's an entire genre of very, very much love stories. And this one is from Pentology written by Wang Dulu, which is the pen name of Wang Pardon my pronunciation, Bao Xiang. Uh, we have to buy up, apologize for our pronunciations on the show. By the yes. way, we're, we're trying really, try, really hard, but, but it's uh, we're gonna get things wrong. So, uh, um, feel free to let us know what we got wrong, um, and we'll do our best to say it better next time around. Yeah. But we are. It's not that yeah, easy so. sometimes to get the correct pronunciation. So he wrote a lot. He was a very prolific writer. He wrote um, sci-fi and adventure stories and fantasies and this is part of it when he tried his hand on this very very popular genre and did very well nobody knows exactly how much he wrote anything from 2030 to 50 60 novels and short stories i mean it was these were written in 1940 41 right so world war ii era yeah it was published in a magazine as a you know in, in segments very very popular and there were actually a few uh, adapta- movie adaptations of Crouching Tiger or other parts of this pentalogy in Taiwan and Hong Kong in the 50s and 60s. But because he was in mainland China and these were in Hong Kong or Taiwan, they couldn't actually get in touch with him to get the rights, to get him to agree and sign an agreement and get credited for it. So you can tell from the stories, it is the stories from his pentalogy. But the names are different. He is not mentioned. Right. Because there's no way of getting in touch. We're talking about the Cultural Revolution. Mm. He would have been, imagined branded as a traitor for even engaging mm. in that. So they did it. They sort of credited him posthumously much later, but uh, yeah, not directly. I mean... I'm not sure how it developed sort of copyrights was in China at the day anyway. It's basically the Chinese Western from the sound of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah, very, it's very enough. much a similar yeah. kind of a... Um, like a Viking song. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, but you've got it's the, 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 the lone warrior. Journey, right? Exactly. We'll have them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's so a Campbell, sort of traditional classic Campbell's hero um, mm-hmm. um, uh, myth in, in that sense, you know. I think uh, what but what I like about the story, and, I, I, and I, I really appreciate its 
um, simplicity, right? It's actually in on on the face of it is a really really simple story. But I think where 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 people struggle with clarity, um, I mean, it doesn't help that for Western audiences it's subtitled and then uh, and then mm-hmm. we don't quite we aren't quite familiar with some of the uh, transitions between things, and then suddenly suddenly a, a new character is introduced that. We have to remember is the same person later, you know, that, you know, that, that makes it harder. No question, you know, and certainly way there could have been ways to try and be a bit more clear as to how we would have done it in Western cinema, you know. But Ang Lee very, very deliberately tried to um, invoke Chinese cinema, tried to invoke uh, that cinema with some Western sensibilities, you know. So, so what we have are... Um, a, a a mesh of the two worlds. The film was not made for Asian audiences. The film was very, very, very much made for Western audiences, which explains why Chow Yun Fat is in it, which explains why Michelle Yeoh is in it. They neither of them are Chinese, you know. Um, well, okay, they're Chinese, but they're not mainland China, you know, which is where the story is set. Um, uh, Chow Yun Fat is from Hong Kong. Doesn't speak. Didn't speak a word of Mandarin before he made this movie. Wow. Yeah. No. He learned. It, he, 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 he learned Mandarin for the film. And um, he learned martial arts. And he, he learned martial arts. He's not, he's not a martial artist Which either. He's native tongue. Cantonese. Okay. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So he's not Mandarin. You know. Um. And he hated speaking Mandarin. Not because he didn't. Not because he hated the language, but because he knew it sounded awful in it. Oh. You know what I mean? It's like a he, 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 he no, it, it is, it is, um, and um, it is, it, it is such a strong difference um, mm. uh, on that front. And what I think is very uh, um, so, so he did. Uh, he, he uh, one of the uh, famous comments of his is that he did twenty one takes just to get the language right. You know what I mean? Like there, like this is such a struggle, you know, um, to to get it right. And even then, even after doing all those takes and trying to get it right, they redubbed his voice for the Chinese market <laughs> because his accent. Because also Michelle Yeoh, she's Malay, you know, yeah. so therefore she has a very strong accent. Yeah, yeah she she doesn't speak Mandarin. You know what I mean? I mean, she spoke Mandarin for the movie, but Mandarin is not her native tongue. So therefore, she had an accent, a very very strong one. That was just a bit hard to listen to, you know. I mean, it's just like if you had to have a British character and the guy tried to say British words and kept being American, be sounding American, like you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it is yes. different. So it, exactly, it, 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 it is. It is. It is grating. You know. I mean, if yeah. you're trying to take the movie seriously, yeah. I mean, with Mary Poppins because of its charm, we can just about get away with yeah, it because it's charming. But this is a serious film. This is trying to be serious, and so therefore. They needed to redub it for the Asian market, yeah, you know. But it wasn't made for the Asian market. The film was made, you know, with Columbia Pictures, and you know, with and they picked these two actors because of Hong Kong cinema. They were already well known in Western markets, and the film opened in. It was in Cannes, I think. It was in a film. I think the film even opened in Cannes. So yeah, it was made for Western markets. It was made with that in mind, and they had Ang Lee as the director, who was the perfect sort of hybrid. In fact. Um, they, the whole film was pitched as um, uh, Sense and Sensibility, which he also directed with Kung Fu. You I know was what I mean? just thinking about that. How his films are so different. No, no, he's he's Incredible. one of those he's one of those directors that's that's uh, one of the masters of transition between genres. I think. Yeah, I think do he does. Rays he, of the day as well. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know actually at the time. Anthony Hopkins uh, and Emma Thompson. Uh, I don't know really at the not. moment. Uh, but but what he did do Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and he, he he did Brokeback oh, Mountain. Uh, he he did one of my favorite movies, The Ice Storm. Um, oh, as also from, exactly. Now he's 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 has an um, and he did most recently he did Life of Pi, which is very good. Oh, you know, yeah. so yes, he has quite the range. He's made a couple movies that were less successful. Uh, I admire him for trying. Uh, the first version of the Hulk. Oh, yeah. um, well, it's not the it's not necessarily the first version. There are other Hulk films before that, but so the first big studio, big budget comic book Hulk movie. He tried that. It had mixed results, I would say, but they at the time actually quite enjoyed watching it. I do think the film has things that hold up well and that were very interesting decisions. Made a very very deliberate decision in the Hulk to have actual comic book panels, you know, which is a very uh, ballsy thing to do, you know, to make a comic book movie. Go straight up comic book panels. Let's put them into. I thought that was very interesting. It was a very good choice, but the as a whole, the film doesn't quite work and was maybe not quite in Coming his back to this one you know um but but as far as crouching tiger goes crouching tiger was quite the inspired uh, uh he made some really really inspired choices with this so film i saw an interview with him yeah in preparation of this and he said for him making this movie in particular was a mix of a childhood dream he always wanted to try his hand at wuxia stories yeah but also a midlife crisis. He was doing everything that was very commercially appropriate and the next steps in his career. And then he wanted to do this to bring it home, to do something personal. And he had just about the right amount of credit to get the backing to do it. And this was for him, as he said, a mix of a childhood dream and a midlife crisis. I'm doing this. It's gonna flop, but I love it. I'm doing it anyway. And then, and then the film grows two hundred and thirteen million dollars globally. You can tell that. You can tell that he's put a lot himself. It's a labor of love. So, if you go back to the fact that this is about freedom, I think all the characters here. And then I am borrowing from another YouTuber, so my apologies. Don't remember the name. Young guy, (laughs) apparently was writing a thesis. Nobody asked him the right questions. Is that I'm putting in a YouTube video. So it is about freedom. They all try to get freedom from different restraints, constraints, especially including Jen. Including gravity. Including gravity, <laughs> yes. And that guy says that Free. the sword is symbolizes freedom. Everybody's trying to get their hands on the sword, but what they're really trying is a freedom having that power will give them. And of course it doesn't. It just gets them into trouble. It just makes them obliged to fight crime or obliged to give it back. Or now they're being sought after by the police. It doesn't give any of them what... And Lee Mobai is the one who realizes that the freedom is not in the power. Yeah, I mean, the freedom is in love and peace, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's what he was. He he, like the story Mm -hmm. is very, very much about him being at unrest. And he says, look, and he remembers when he touches the sword again, he remembers craving that power, how much he missed it, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But the thing that ends up making him happy is actually being with the woman he's always loved and he's had. You know, he's been, and that's actually interesting enough. That's the most sort of repressive part or the most on the nose part in the films. Like everybody keeps telling you, get the girl. Everybody knows you love this girl. And they keep telling her too, you love, uh, you love being with this boy. Why aren't boy and girl together? You know what I mean? Like these two should have been together for years. And because of tradition, because of social expectation, they. Because of respect for the mutual friend. She was engaged to his best friend who died he sacrificed himself defending Lee Mumbai. So out of respect to his memory, they don't get together. Basically, he chose to honor her engagement. Uh, Which segues perfectly into the next tea scene, 
um, where they actually they don't drink from this. They they I would love to um, find out more about this part. Actually, uh, let's take a look. So as you can see, another crucial sort of moment with T in this film, where he finally clearly reveals to her how he feels, even though they both know it, you know, but the titles in this scene, the uh, entire metaphor and intention of it is in this scene and they drink tea. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is a, a, such a crucial part to this narrative, which I find is uh, an, 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 an interesting thing that Ang Lee does um, that somehow these character moments are linked to tea. And I'm not sure how, conscious he does this you know i don't know uh, consciously he does this i'm uh, i i always wonder whether he um like martin scorsese has his uh, religious iconography that he puts into important moments in his films that delineate certain character choices and what they're struggling with blah blah i wonder if this is part of his language his cinematic language that he does consciously or even unconsciously yeah. um um does this and and obviously the writers play into that and things like that but this is such a clear moment yeah you know i mean of the film and that that ties into T, just like the way we saw earlier that reveals certain characters and even the next scene that we're going to show afterwards. It's very, it's a very still moment, too, mm. isn't it? There's nothing disturbing or distracting your attention. It's so calm. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Exactly. It's, um, there's something uh, when you were saying about the unconscious um, using T in those character moments. There is something that's about the whole preparation of T like this. And especially for everyone that you're then giving to, there's a, like a feeling of care, isn't there? There's mm. a feeling of community, mm. um, and even the ritual, it's very like calming, mm. relaxing. It's almost like a a beat in your life. It's like a stop, mm. and then you continue. Um, and there is something quite beautiful about that. Mm -hmm. and I guess maybe that is the unconscious. Mm. I think there's a I think there's a very interesting sort of duality to the whole thing. And 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 uh, hear, hear me out. Basically. Both of our characters in this story are bound by tradition, you know, and tradition is made up of rituals, you know, very, very much. So these are the things you're supposed to do. And 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 most traditions and especially Chinese tradition are made of very rigid rituals. You know, this is how it's done and thou shalt not deviate, you know. Um, and uh, and the uh, and the big thing in this case is that he realizes that the tradition that he's been adhering to, this reverence of this is what I'm supposed to do, this is how things has not brought him happiness. Um, and his retirement, but but as on the one hand, his retirement is made with you know sincerity, and he's like, I did it with the best intentions, and it's only brought us more trouble. But what it has really brought him is the courage to be happy, mm -hmm. you know, and the thing that he really wants that is breaking from the tradition just a little bit. So he can have his moment of happiness, you know. Um, and as far as the movie goes, that is the only happiness he gets mm -hmm. because soon afterwards he passes away. Mm -hmm. You know, not much time passes before mm -hmm. the conflict continues mm -hmm. and he he's poisoned. he's poisoned and he dies. And this is the only moment of happiness those two characters actually get. So he breaks from tradition mm -hmm. to, achieve to achieve his happiness but pays the ultimate price for it, mm -hmm. you know? So there's, there's certainly um, uh, um, the, the power of ritual is given this kind of value. You break with tradition at your peril, you know, you break with ritual at your peril, you know? And I do think 
that is simultaneously a uh, a a a a a tragic thought that this that you are confined by this, but the ritual and tradition is what unites us all. You know, so in it certainly makes sense in uh, in sort of a mythological context that these are the structures that are in place, and this is what we follow, and this is what unites us. And this, and everybody who breaks from that, the jade foxes of the world, you know, who who basically the said, what exactly? It's the agent of chaos. Why should women not be Wudan soldiers? You know, mm. uh, Wudan Wudan um, pupils. You mm. know, and when we did try to be Wudan pupils, we were mistreated and blah blah blah. So the film paints her character, despite her being technically right. Why should women not be? And the it's, film actually says it's more than that. I mean, she's portrayed as a villain and completely in the wrong. She murdered his master, his teacher. She cheated her way into learning this craft, right? She stole the manual, stole the book, even though we learned later that she's illustrate, which is why she needed Jen. Um, but she also says, he didn't teach me even after I slept with him. So she off, she, he slept with her with a, on a false promise that he would teach her the secrets of the martial art and then denied her. And any modern Western standard she is the victim he is the villain maybe murder wasn't the right way to go but he definitely needs to be punished she is the one who was cheated and was he was the one to blame but of course tradition chinese patriarchy she's the villain who's the master he was murdered she's the murderess that's it mm -hmm. but to modern eyes you suddenly go wait a minute she's not bad because she's intrinsically evil she's angry and bitter because she was wrong she is we should sympathize but of course yeah. she's the bad person she's also not very good looking that's all that and then she that tries would, to put that would have made it more interesting if if that was how jade more fox was pre yeah. presented mm. then i would think the movie would be more interesting as the main antagonist mm. if you actually felt that from her and we're torn but like you said, she just presented as like an evil witch. So she tells that, and you sort of have to pay attention and catch it. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, yeah. It's it not yeah. showing. It. I didn't yeah. notice it the first time I saw it's, it. And, and I think that's the problem with the film. Actually, the film presents quite a few subtle layers, you mm. know. Um, um, and and even having Jen's character, Jen is her character name. Nah, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> uh, yes, the young one. Yeah. Uh, even Jen's character, like the whole point is that she is not a man. And she has the capability to surpass the talents and skills of many of the of the men. And she needed the, uh, proper guidance. She needed the knowledge not to be a man. She needed the knowledge to do it properly. And she taught herself to be this good, you know. And uh, what and what she needs is now guidance to find balance. And Limo Bai is willing to offer that to her, you know, mm -hmm. saying, "I can give you this. I can let you." I can guide you towards these things, you know. Um, but in this whole context of freedom, what she seeks is her own path, because what she's given is three paths that she's being mm. that she are that these are options that are given to her. But that's not none of them are her choices. These are choices that were given to her. You know, the first choice is. She's a woman. She has to marry. This is her job. That's all she's supposed to do. She clearly wants to break free from that. So when she has the chance to go to the desert and be with um, Lo, Lo uh, to be with Lo and uh, spend the life with him, she 
rejects that even though she enjoyed it she rejected and and no actually he rejects her says look you're just you're not going to enjoy it here blah blah blah. and there's certainly a moment that quite the reason it's because her family are after her and it's bad for him it's bad for him exactly exactly. they'll never be left alone absolutely on the on the run forever exactly but he says no i will come and get you i will establish myself and i will come and get you you know and then he runs out of patience like no blah blah blah. and of course she's due to be married but then when she spends that time apart and she learns more and she studies more and she becomes as powerful as she is, mm. suddenly that is not enough either. That can't possibly, his path is not my path anymore, you know? And so Limo Bai then offers her another path. Become the student, become the thing. The, the, but again, she stands there going, you are just forcing your thing the very thing that Jade Fox has has taught her. Mm-hmm. You're just going to be forcing your way down my throat. It's like, I'm, you're just going to be making me do things that I don't really want to do, you know? And I think that is where um, uh, the story really lies. And so at the very end, you know, when she asks Lo, what do you want? You know, because the legend is that if you jump off the mountain, mm-hmm. your wish comes true of whatever uh, of whatever you want. But we will never know exactly what her path is because obviously she had to fall to her death, basically, in order to fulfill the wish. That's, so basically, to either you conform to these ideas or you die. You know what I mean? And that is basically where uh, Jen sits at the end. You know, And I find that, uh, and that is sort of the basic surface layer of it. But these are, this is about women struggling for power and struggling for self-identity mm-hmm. in a very, very male-driven world and the men telling them what to do and be. You have, know? have you ever... Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Have you ever spoken to young Chinese people who have seen the film to get not, their no. take on it? I just wonder how they would that see would it. That you know? yeah. would um, be. It's quite similar in Japan as well, the same imposition of tradition, which yeah. women yeah. have had to really fight against. I've had a, a bit of experience because uh, my MA in... Uh, London LCC. Um, my class was seventy percent Chinese, uh, yeah. from literally just mm. from China. Mm. Um, and the, every time you get into conversations like that, their immediate natural inclination is never to question because it's too dangerous to. Wow. So most of the time, it's I wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to have that emotional response. It's not what they're supposed to think about. To You're supposed to just what? toe the line. Yeah, I guess that's As in like um, something like uh, women having power mm. or like, mm. um, I know, presumably the power is those like martial arts stuff mm. um, and feeling that freedom. That's not something they even entertain. Really? It's much more toe the line. And can we not talk about this because it's a bit, it's a wow. bit scary. Oh. Yeah, that's my experience. I don't know. There's probably loads of people who aren't like that. But it's interesting that they even... I like that in a country where they're allowed to express mm. something like here. Yeah, I imagine it stays with you. Yeah, it must stay with you. With and for yeah, yeah. parents years, are. Change, yeah. But yeah. yeah, exactly. Parents are in the background. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Without, without all these Chinese students, uh, a lot of our colleges would not exist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but it is, it, it is a very, very interesting sort of uh, philosophy that the film does present, you know, um, and it does so subtly because it's, again, most of the things I just said came out of multiple viewings from the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly a more uh, when you're a more trained critic and things like that, you can maybe derive that the first time around. 
when the first time I saw it, I was 20 years old. I was mm-hmm. definitely not any kind of trained critic back then. For me, it was well, that's really cool and that's really sad, you know? <laughs> you know, like that's that's pretty all it was. But I think the philosophy behind it is something that really sort of grew with multiple viewings and also with age, like you mentioned earlier. I think it's a very, very interesting way to break it down. Um, let's, uh, let's... Do you talk- not feel, however, they could have made more of that then? Instead of... Because I feel like most of the film wasn't that and you actually have to probably think and feel I feel like your perceptions of it are more beautiful than the film is. That's that's well, they how they come I'm... from the film. I mean, of that... course, yeah. yeah. The, the, it's just the, the film. Uh, the film doesn't ask. The, the film asks the viewer to derive it, right? Yeah. yeah. So so basically, yeah, Levi does say something. He says right that his master taught him that you can't hold on to anything in life, and only by letting go can you touch what is really important. And she says no, but but this was real. My hand on your cheek. Yes. You're holding my hand. That was real, but not wanting anything, not needing anything. That is death. Only mm. in death have we no need and no desire. Mm-hmm. So he's putting it almost explicitly that this absolute freedom only in death. And the young Jen is, tries like crazy to find freedom from this and freedom from that and not this and not that, not parents, not Lumubai, not old sister Julienne. And she comes back crying because she was just lonely and miserable, Had didn't have a moment of peace to drink tea and have a meal she discovered there is no absolute freedom as you do realize it as you get older. Mm-hmm. And it's another way of interpreting her jumping off the mountain. She could be trying genuinely to fulfill a wish or she could be realizing that she'll never get it. It doesn't exist. Life as it stands isn't good enough for her. She's also caused the death of a person she admired, right? Because of her, Limubai is dead. So she has this immense debt and guilt to pay and she killed herself. She has nothing more to live for, just the burden of guilt and succumbing to this idea of, no, freedom doesn't really exist, not as she saw it. Not as she fantasized about it. That's the thing, because she was raised in a house. Well, I think in her case especially, she was raised in a in a restrictive household where the only outside world that was given to her was by these stories of the glorious warriors and mm-hmm. blah blah blah, the Limu Bais of the world. That's the world she knows is through that. You know, She's so Don Quixote, isn't uh, she? well, uh, maybe not as self-referential because obviously Don Quixote also makes fun of the genre. You know, but she, uh, there's no doubt that she yearns for the free spirit and the romanticism of doing that and once she gets it after she's been sold to this myth by jade fox to go from bar to bar and to kill and that's ultimate freedom is to live between death life and death constantly you know and that's where you feel the rush and that's when you feel alive you know that's what she sold to jen that's what jade fox sold to jen and then of course uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, um, Sh- Julienne. Julienne. She sells the idea of you know, but you are a woman. This you are of noble birth. You this is an honorable thing to do. Like this is this tradition you're pursuing is not a bad thing. What are you talking about? I I'm I, I don't live a glamorous life. I'm sure I'm one of those people that you're thinking of. I work my ass off. I've got my security company outside of outside of Beijing, but the person I love is not here. You know, it's a very, very lonely, mostly boring life, you know, and that's it. That's my life, you know. So the, whatever fantasy you think you have, that's not me and that's not Lee Mubai either, you know. Mm-hmm. And Lee Mubai has had that life and is like, you know what? I'm done. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm done with this, and he doesn't find freedom either. He finds it in this brief moment, which we just saw, and that's it. That's the only freedom he actually really ever gets, you know. And so the fantasy that she has is not is just that. It is a fantasy, and nothing can live up to that fantasy, you know, because that fantasy is destroyed the moment you try to pursue it. In fact, last scene to watch is another tea scene with where this this fantasy starts. A western. It's a straight bar bro. It's a western, absolutely. So, um, we, I wasn't gonna make us watch the whole fight scene because uh, we've all seen it and it's amazing. It's my my second favorite fight in the movie. Um, the T is you said possibly oolong. Um, possibly, I mean, the color of it was either a black or an oolong. At the beginning of the seventeenth century, um, the European countries were beginning to trade with China, right. and they found that their teas did not travel as well by sea as they had always travelled by land. You can care for it better when it's being carried on the backs of animals. So they started to play around with the processing of the tea leaves that they picked, and this all happened in Fujian Province in the Wu Mountains, which is where Lapsang Sushan comes from, yeah. and. Um, the story is, as I was explaining to Ed earlier, the story says that they had picked tea one day to make green tea. The Chinese army then stepped by and said, right, we're taking over your factory so we can sleep here for the night. There is still a military post up in the mountains yeah. where very close to the tea gardens. And um, so the soldiers lay down on the tea leaves that were oh. losing moisture overnight. And of course, in the morning, the tea leaves were all squashed and they'd started to oxidize because when you break the leaves, they go brown with oxygen. Mm. And also it smelled pretty bad because of these sweaty soldiers who slept all night there. Oh and um, so somebody in the, in the factory said, look, what are we going to do about getting rid of the smell? And this tea's begun to oxidize. Um, and so somebody said, well, look, why don't, we, why don't we dry it over wood that will actually give a flavor? And they um, are surrounded in that part of the world by pine trees with that lovely sappy, resiny mm. character. So they decided to dry the tea over smoking pine wood. And it hid the smell of the soldiers and people and liked the it. And, yeah. Them, and yeah. so it became one of the most popular um, black teas that we were bringing into the West. Uh, it was not very smoky then. Um, now it is made to be very smoky, right. but you can also buy the type that is not so smoky, that replicates how it was once made. With sweaty have... soldiers and everything. No, they, they, <laughs> they leave the sweaty oh. soldiers. <laughs> Do you have to, is that part of the recipe? You have to sort of roll in it after a good yeah. workout so and then you smoke it. That Get would be a little fun, bit of your it? sweat and pop it in and then that's real. That's too short. You're going to need a bit of Yes, thanks guys. <laughs> Sounds delicious. That's a, that's a, a very, that very coffee? different definition of a nutty flavour there. <laughs> <laughs> so the colour of that tea it didn't certainly didn't look like a green tea. Uh, and in the period that the film is set, there would have been these teas coming out of Wui Mountains in Fujian province. We were importing those oxidized teas. It's very likely that some of those teas that arrived here were actually oolongs. And an oolong is somewhere on the oxidation scale between zero and 100%. Mm. So green tea is not oxidized. Black tea is fully oxidized. Oolongs are somewhere right. in between. And it's all about when the tea master decides to stop the oxidation level. Or get the soldiers knocked off the tea leaves. <laughs> or, uh, or in the filmmaking case here, they needed a cup of tea, so they just poured something, and they decided not to be one hundred percent accurate because well, he, he, he. But, but he was, as I said, I think I think the the um, they weren't. They, they did say they weren't trying to be one 
hundred percent, you know, authentic. accurate. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think in this case, they just said, okay, we'll, we'll pour a cup of tea. Yeah, you know, we're not it, even going to think about it. It could have been. It could have been black tea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, absolutely, it could have been black tea um, or anything like that. Still a beautiful location. Her, she does start to learn stillness, right? She can fend him off with yeah. one arm and still not spill to the other hand. That's mm-hmm. amazing. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. I, I think I think the the one thing she that <laughs> I think the one thing that um that this scene kind of points out is another thing that the film plays with, which is the uh because because assignment of gender roles is a big part of what this movie Huge. is. Like like what are you what is a woman supposed to be? Um she pretends to be a man in this mm-hmm. scene, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, she's very, very much trying to be a he. Um, and what I think, what I like even more, is that the man she's fighting pretends to be stronger than he is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. By having these claim calling himself Iron Arm, <laughs> by actually cheating. Yeah. You know what I mean? By deceiving his strength mm-hmm. by pretend by having these braces on his arm, mm-hmm. and and she calls him out, and it's like, what kind of iron arm yeah. are you? Her and then, wrist. and then exactly, and so it's. Uh, I think I think it. I, I really really enjoyed that little subtle dig mm-hmm. at what these men, what kind of men these men With think these they names are. names they take for them to themselves yes. and, and, the, and the, the weapons. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and if you, and it, this is actually one of the few sort of blatantly comedic scenes in the film. And I think also the, uh, the, the action scenes actually have these moments of comedy in them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, mm-hmm. uh, that I find very charming because the film is serious and stuff like that. It is, the comedy is found in in the action scenes when they actually dis- decide to be funny in those moments. And in this film, in this scene in particular, all the men are these helpless, goofy creatures <laughs> that she they're trying to fight her and she just manhandles them. Pardon the pardon the pun here, actually, but that's basically yeah. what she does. She just completely obliterates them. There's one whole scene where this and, and all the and all the faces all the guys pull when they're being hit, they're basically being slapped as they were little boys. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I find that uh, a, a real, a really fun kind of breakdown of what it means to be these kinds of strong men, and you know, and what does that really mean? And the only uh, the and the way the film portrays masculinity is in this very very stoic, calm, collected thoughtful, mm-hmm. um, helpful, kind manner in Mili Mubai. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Whereas all the others are um, either deceptive or manipulative politicians, which are her parents or or Serte mm-hmm. in there, they're they're either that or they are these um uh, or they're these marchers, soldiers, mm-hmm. you know, they're or or warriors that are trying to be and that are petty and get into fights over nothing, you know, and and uh, have no problem picking fights. And of course she handles them without much hassle the only the only uh um uh the only righteous men in the story that are uh, that are not limubai or these uh, warriors are the police officer who's basically trying to find jade fox you know who mm-hmm. ends up getting killed by jade fox um and the uh bodyguard uh who uh who works for Certe, yeah. you know Bo? Oh yeah, who ends up who basically ends up teaming up with uh with the policeman. with the policeman's daughter. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean exactly because he dies, right? right? So those those are the uh, those are the only two. So it's the only other righteous guy who's actually a decent guy is trying to help. Blah blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not the hero. Yeah, he's just a guy who's trying to do the right thing. 
mm. you know. Um, and uh, and even when he's trying to be chivalrous and he's trying to stand outside the door and he's trying to be this man, she goes, "It's cold outside. Come inside. What is this?" You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and just tells him, "Dude, you don't have to be that guy now." Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's fine. Yeah. Come inside, you know. And I, I I love these little touches on masculinity. The film has a lot of these mm-hmm. kinds of details in there that it doesn't spell out for you, but it's there to be taken. You yeah. know, and I think that's and this is what I mean with multiple viewings. Multiple viewings will sure. give you these kinds of layers yeah. on the film. Yeah. I one, think, one watch. Sorry. No, no, no. You. Go. I was just going to say one watching is obviously not enough yeah. because no. there's so much in what you said that yeah, yeah, never yeah, even crossed my mind. Me too, me too. Yeah, but it is. It, it makes lots of these little sort of statements, and as a playing with gender roles is a, is a very very big part of this film, and and certainly presenting as a man um, in this. And and I think the the biggest fight scene in the film is actually between uh, Jen and Shulin mm-hmm. right after this. Yeah, you know? so right after this happens, she goes to uh, Jen goes to Shulin and says, "Oh, I'm not happy doing this." Blah blah. blah. And Shulin, instead of trying to just be consoling. Tells her, okay, now go back and be, yeah, no, actually, no, not uh, you can either go back and be the woman that you were supposed to be, or you can go up to the temple and do and do your thing with Limu Bai. And she's like, no, whoa, 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 you've already made plans no, for me. She said that Lo is waiting for her there. Oh, Lo's waiting for her. Yeah, but, no, but no, Limu Bai has made arrangements with yes. for Lo to be up there, that kind of thing. So, but so you're already telling me what to do again. I just got here. You know what I mean? And that's when they start fighting. Yeah. One, one thing I am interested in because you, uh, what you're saying about the philosophy and the freedom. Mm-hmm. I still don't really get where the violence comes in. Why mm-hmm. such violence if you're talking about freedom? Because mm-hmm. Taoism and even Confucianism doesn't have violence in it, really. It's well, supposed to be the opposite. Well, the Whereas most is... of these characters are supposed to be philosophical. But Lu Bai, if he's a warrior, he's killed, murdered. Yeah. He's not really that. And that's why I'm, there's a slight disconnection between freedom and violence because why having a disagreement as a teenager to someone who's trying to look mm-hmm. after you do you then have a huge fight in a house using loads of swords and stuff it's like it's complete disconnect well, you wouldn't go from there to there if you look at like, that doesn't even make sense if, no, no, if you look at if you look at who causes the violence in the story it is all caused by people who are and Primarily by Jade Fox and Jen. Yeah, I mean those two are the people who steal, who get into fights, who are uh, who murder people. Blah, blah blah blah. They are the ones getting into fights. They start the fight. You know, Shilin, who's a security officer, is trying to protect the peace. She's not trying to get into fights. She's mm-hmm. stopping people who do. You know, and and Li Mubai is an elevated version of that by being by um, uh, training and stuff like that. But even he, you know, gets his you know whatever wealth he has which is not much but uh, is through the temple that he's part of and the 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 order that he's part of like that's that's all, all that means you know that reverie for him but he doesn't go out and pick fights like he's, he's training for what no but yeah but he's he's a yes he's he is a soldier but he's a soldier not of fortune, not of uh, uh, of uh, of power, but of defense and justice. You know, um, so he would never attack somebody um, in order to do that. He would prevent violence. Like that's his whole point, and he's doing so with stillness and calmness and consideration and that kind of thing. It's like he would always try to stop a fight before having one. The people that start the fights are the people that aren't trained that way. Yeah, you know, the people that are struggling with power and struggling with freedom, and that is specifically Jen. And almost every single fight in this film is caused by Jen. You know I mean? Including going after Lo for the comb. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. Go takes the comb. No, she's like, 
I'm gonna fight you. I'm gonna get my freaking comeback. You know what I mean? And and even with those men in the in the restaurant, the tea house, they came for a lesson. Yes, it's intimidating. There's a whole bunch of them, just one little her with her weapons, but they sit down politely, introduce themselves, coming for a lesson. She could have just said, "Yes, I'll give you a lesson at four o'clock," or "Sorry, no, I'm too busy." But no, she chooses to taunt them and ignore them, and you are not. And then they respond me. by by getting offended, and they solve their problems with fights, obviously, but. She didn't have to be so bit. rude. That's the key here. But she didn't have to be so rude. Because there's not a single point in the film where they needed to solve their problems with fights. No, but what did she expect of being weird. so rude? I mean, it's kicking a beehive yeah, and saying your bees are stingy. Yeah, yeah, being rude doesn't mean you have to destroy a tea house. Yeah, no, but the, no, but the whole point is that she is realizing that that's not a life that makes her happy. You know what I mean? Um, it's like all her decisions have not made her happy so far. And the fantasy that she thought she was going to live out, you know, um, is uh, is not bringing her happiness, you know? And the one person that offers her the happiness is Limu Bai that says you need the training in order to have it, you know? But he himself is also not happy. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, but... He needs to stop fighting, really. Yeah, well, well but, 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 he, but he he realizes that the, through the fighting, he's, the, the fighting has not made him happy. You know what I mean? The only thing that's made him happy is actually pursuing the person he's always loved. That's the philosophy of it. With the fighting, they're, they're, they're so extraordinary because they go on for a long time. The movement, is it speeded up? I don't know. It's incredibly... There is, um, I, I was going to talk about that a little bit. Okay. But yes, please go ahead. But I just wonder whether we should see the fighting as a more symbolic yeah, yeah, of trouble between these different <laughs> factions Absolutely. rather than actually... Because if it was a real fight, it wouldn't go on no, so long true. and someone would get... Would get Killed or stabbed. No, I or, think that is what it is. Yeah. Right, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, actually, I want to talk a little bit about the mechanics, the filmmaking mechanics of the fighting. Because, uh, mm-hmm. because all the action sequences were basically directed by uh, Yuan Wu Ping. Yuan Wu Ping, probably to westernize, most famous for having done The Matrix. Um, oh. uh, so, yeah, he was the guy that choreographed Keanu Reeves wow. and all those guys to do that. And he was, but in, in Hong Kong cinema, he was already well known for his really elaborate, um, beautifully choreographed and directed uh, fight sequences. Sequences. So if his big splash came with Fist of Legend, which is with Jet Li, which mm-hmm. is a fantastic movie. And actually, I hope we could make it onto this uh, <laughs> this podcast at some point because it, it is genuinely great. It's actually a remake of, of Fist of Fury, which is a Bruce Lee film. You know what oh. I mean? So uh, it's a really, really good Bruce Lee movie that got remade. Normally, don't ever, ever remake a Bruce Lee movie. It's going to go bad, but they remade this one and it's actually really, really good. Um, so um, it's from 1994. Highly recommend watching Fist of Legend. But um, he went on to do The Matrix and did Crouching Tiger and he did Kill Bill as well. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So so he's very, very well known for these beautifully made action choreographies. But... Chao Yun-fat was not a martial artist. So he had to learn, aside from Mandarin, had to learn martial arts to do this movie. But then also, Zhang Ziyi was also not a martial artist. So even though she has some of the most amazing fight sequences in the film, not a martial artist. She's a dancer, though. You know what I mean? And learning learning fight sequences in film and doing martial art, learning and do and learning dance choreographies is practically the same thing. Yeah. The routines and everything mm-hmm. is is not that different. So if you if you and if you look, especially in the sequence, and you see her body movements, you will find a lot of dance moves. You mm-hmm. know, a lot more like the way her leg, like she has this final pose at the very end. 
uh, after she's clobbered everybody and she has this big sort of fun, yes. she swings her leg up high and blah blah and these are mm. super classic dance moves you know I mean seriously so uh, so you can really see how that came out and she, she what was really nice about her being a dancer as opposed to a martial artist was that it made all her movements even more elegant and more smooth yeah, and fluid. it really is very really well done yeah. you know and, Exactly, mm -hmm. and and the and even uh, that scene with the calligraphy, she stands mm -hmm. there and just tucks her sleeve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. really it's really well done. And the funny thing is, she almost didn't get cast for the movie because mm -hmm. she was not Ang Lee's first choice. Um, Ang Lee actually wanted to hire. Uh, I want to get the name right, so give me two secs. Uh, Shu Qi, who was a Taiwanese, uh, basically uh, um, a very, very popular Taiwanese actress at the time, and Ang Lee wanted to hire her, but she was like, no. I I don't want to do a kung fu movie. That's, that's <laughs> the, I'm, not, I'm not really that interested. And so um, they basically, but that would have been another person who does not speak Mandarin mm -hmm. um, in the movie. And so that by hiring Zhang Ziyi, they at least had one actor who's definitely Mandarin. Um, my last factoid that I want to sort of present before we basically wrap up the show is... I find I, I like uh, I like checking out the scripts on some of these mm -hmm. uh, on some of these projects too, just to see like what the writing was and stuff like that. I don't necessarily read the whole thing, but in this case, I stumbled across something really, really, really awesome. Since you mentioned the uh, um, action sequences, and that is a note at the beginning of the script of uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, written by the producer, um, which basically said. All martial art scenes here are, are underwritten, as they will be in as they will be scripted and choreographed during pre-production in China. Rest assured that the production is aiming at the most entertaining, daring, and exquisite martial art scenes ever filmed. <laughs> Worry, it's gonna look great. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's gonna be amazing. You know, trust me, they they are. I mean, they you, yeah, they're right. awesome. They're stunning. Yeah. Um, I just found a bit too many of them too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think uh, I think they uh, uh, certainly um, it is some of the finest uh, martial arts mm -hmm. uh, or no, martial incredible. arts that put to film. But I mean, there there are going to be people that are going to be like. Really, crouching yeah. tiger, finest part. Of the, have you seen this? Have you seen yeah. that? No, I think it's it's a fantastic movie. I I definitely enjoyed it. Again, um, probably my fifth viewing. I wow. think you know. So. I've learned so much. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. Never me would have picked up so yeah. much because there's just so much happening all the time. Yeah, and obviously looking for tea moments. Yeah. Um, that's what you're you're focusing on. It's the same with Lawrence yeah. of Arabia. I knew that from before. Mm. This was the only time I watched the film, so I didn't get out of it. Mm. So we watched even ten percent of what you've been talking mm. about. So would you would you knowing what you know now? Would you consider rewatching? Uh, possibly, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I I would recommend it, um, and I think it would be interesting if you if there's a younger generation you can watch it with. Yeah. I think it might be worth doing. I, th I do think there's a lot to be said for it. It's a quite a forward-thinking film for its time, but it is a subtler movie. It is not necessarily on the nose about things. You know, it is on the nose about some things, very, very much so. But there are a lot of layers to it, and Ang Lee is very much the kind of filmmaker that yes. works with a lot of layers. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting that he can make that and then make sense and sensibility. 
It's well, so totally yeah. complete opposite ends of the scale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's done and, and with such with humor and yeah. sensitivity and yeah. I mean the sense and sensibility. Yeah. I love it. I think it's a wonderful film. Mm. One of my favorites. So let's get to the end of the show, but also get to the next movie we're going to watch. Mm-hmm. We had a few uh, uh, interesting uh, dis- uh, items for, uh, for discussion that we were considering for mm-hmm. our next show. Uh, among them were an animated, a couple animated films uh, like Alice in Wonderland and uh, um, Beauty, uh, and the Beauty and the Beast, where there's actually a teapot as a character. Um, so that was in contention. We had um, uh, Shaun of the Dead was brought up because obviously they're going to have a tip, cup of tea, go to the pub and sit out the apocalypse. Um, and uh, um, also Hot Fuzz, since we're talking um, the other Wright, Edgar Wright, not mm-hmm. Joe Wright, uh, different director. Um, but uh, I think we ultimately landed on Invictus uh, yeah. because uh, the tea is the thing that ended up taking it over, I think, for us. You know, it's like South African, South African tea. And I think we're going to do Robos, right? Robos, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm really only grown in South And it is a film yeah. I've also not seen. Uh, oh, so yeah, I, I have not seen this film yet. And I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan. Yeah. I, I love his movies. I think he's a better director yeah. than he was an actor. Yeah. So, so uh, um, no, it's true. I mean, I, I, I like his acting. Of yeah, course yeah. I do, but no, Clint Eastwood plays Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's what he does. That's what I love him for. There isn't you know? a lot of acting in it. But but his uh, he's but, a very laid back director, isn't he? But it's exactly exactly. No, well he did. He's he, 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 very he, economical. I think okay, because David yeah. said sort of he wanted another take of one of the scenes. Oh, next no, episode. Why? Next episode. Hold on. No, next no, episode. No. Next episode. No, no, no. There's been no doubt. That's true. Uh, it is for the next episode to be discussed. Um, yes. But the, uh, as I Clint Eastwood, obviously, is a fantastic director. He has yes. directed one of my favorite movies in Million Dollar Baby. Mm, um, and so I can't wait to watch this one. Um, and of course, um, Morgan Freeman's in it, Matt oh, Damon's yeah, in it. It's, it's, um, so, you know, a whole lot of non South. Africans playing South Africans, yeah. you know, but yeah. that's Hollywood. Here we are again, you know, another, another film uh, with not the people in it, uh, yeah. but uh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's a good film. Great. No, but I'm looking forward to it. Invictus is our next one and with some robust tea. So thank you very much for listening. Be sure to check out um, the UKT Academy. If you're interested in the tea courses and everything that uh, Jane has to say, make sure you check out. Um, do, you, do you have an Instagram profile? I do. Yes. Please yeah. mention your Instagram profile, Ed. Well, it's Ed Perrier. Ed Perrier, uh, Ed with, Perrier. A y, no, right? yeah, yeah. with a Y, right? Yeah, with a Y. Yeah. Like Perrier. <laughs> Not like Perrier. Perrier. But, uh, Perrier. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ariana, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well Ariana works together with me at Centerframe which is a filmmaking community which is helping us put this together this whole podcast so yeah brought to you by Centerframe a uh, community for filmmakers where we network and collaborate fund films and help get them seen make sure you go to centerframe.com so you can sign up and become a member um, so uh, thank you very much to everyone for, for coming I absolutely enjoyed this episode this was so great and I loved the Gung Fu Tea um, I have to say it was so much more than I thought it would be um, and I recommend everybody at home try to do the same thing. Check out Gung Fu Tea. Check out the whole ritual that goes with it. And uh, and let us know what you think. I'd love I'd love to hear about what your thoughts on this uh, on this whole thing is. And if you have anything you'd like to add to the whole thing, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time with Invictus. <laughs>